0: Throughout its history, Disney Animation has created some truly vicious villains. There have been backstabbers, cannibal witches with low self-esteem, big fat drag queens, even the god of the dead himself. But according to my mirror mirror on the wall, Shan Yu from Mulan is the most savage of them all. Claiming that the emperor challenged his strength with the construction of the Great Wall, Shan Yu led thousands of his subordinate barbarians known as the Huns across China's borders, and they left a path of death and destruction in their wake. It didn't matter if you were a trained warrior or an eight-year-old girl. Shan Yu didn't discriminate against his victims. If you weren't with him, you were against him, and if you were against him, you were as good as dead. What might be the scariest thing about Shan Yu, though, is that he was inspired by actual warlords from history. There were real men who committed war crimes even more heinous than what we see in the film. So in this special episode of the Messed Up Origins podcast, we're going to break down the villain inspiration behind him. And if you stay until the end, I guarantee you won't watch Mulan the same way ever again. What is going on mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and Shan Yu was inspired by two different warlords. And you can probably figure out at least one of them based off the name of his faction, the Huns. For those who aren't familiar with warlords from around the world, the Huns were a nomadic people who occupied Central Asia, the Caucasus region and Eastern Europe between the fourth and sixth centuries. And they caused quite a ruckus while they were there, especially under their most infamous leader, Attila the Hun, who during his reign was the most feared enemy of the Western and Eastern Roman empires for good reason too. Similar to Shan Yu, Attila and his Huns were constantly at war and had a habit of invading kingdoms and empires they had beef with. They would slaughter, steal, and destroy whoever or whatever got in their way. Physical descriptions of Attila and his Huns by the ancient Romans who saw them firsthand also sound like they could be describing Shan Yu and his crew, specifically the Roman writer Priscus who saw Attila himself. He said he was short of stature with a broad chest and a large head. His eyes were small, his beard thin and sprinkled with gray, and he had a flat nose and tanned skin, showing evidence of his origin. Yeah, it gets a little racial at the end there, but we're just gonna blow past it. The point is that when it comes to visual design, the artists of Mulan absolutely could have been inspired by these descriptions of the Huns, besides the short of stature part. But back in the 90s, there weren't many short King villains, especially in the world of animation. And a story like Mulan would have to have physically imposing, almost monstrous bad guys. The whole reason for the conflict is that Shan Yu is showing off his strength. And if you're wondering why Disney would base their design off such racially motivated writings from a society who saw the Huns as barbarians and didn't actually know anything about their culture. Remember, the Huns were a nomadic people. Similar to the Norse, their traditions were shared orally. They didn't keep records about themselves. So all we have to work with is what other people witnessed. To put it another way, the Huns let the nerds write about history while they were busy making history. Ja So it's fair to say that Shan Yu and his Huns were partially based on Attila's Huns, but when you look at the details of their exploits, there is one pretty major difference. According to the historical records we've uncovered so far, Attila's warmongering seems to have specifically taken place west of China in the Roman Empire, Persia, Italy, and modern day France. There is no mention anywhere of him attacking China or trying to cross the Great Wall like Shan Yu did, which raises the question, Why were the Huns chosen as the movie's antagonists? Well, that is where it gets really interesting because they weren't called the Huns in every version of Mulan. They were called the Huns here in America and other countries where the Hun name had more brand recognition. But in China specifically, they were called the Xi'an Yu, which was another nomadic society that predated the Huns by a few centuries. They existed from roughly 200 BCE to 100 CE. During that time, they had a number of rulers, but the most important by far was our second candidate, a guy named Modu Chanyu, whose title, Chanyu, clearly resembles Yu's name. The reason he's so important is that Modu managed to consolidate all of the Xianyu tribes into one confederacy. And from there, he aggressively expanded outward, cutting down anything and anyone who tried to stop his new Xianyu empire from taking over. Also very similar to Shan Yu, one of the biggest obstacles in Modu's path to complete domination was the Han Dynasty of the Chinese Empire. For the record, we can't say for certain the time period that Mulan takes place because the writers intentionally left that vague. You could argue that it's set when the original Ballad of Mulan was written around 500 CE, but that was during the Northern and Southern dynasties. It wasn't a unified Chinese empire like it is in the 1998 film. So it's likely set a little earlier, potentially the Qin or Han dynasties. The original Great Wall was constructed by the Qin dynasty, so that time period would make sense. But the reason that we're leaning towards the Han dynasty is that even though the Great Wall predated them, they significantly expanded it with the largest of all the walls built in China at a length of 10,000 kilometers. more than 6,200 miles. So combine all that with the fact that Modu Chanyu was one of the greatest threats that Imperial China ever faced, and that he was in charge of the Xian Yu during the Han Dynasty, it would just make sense for that to be when the movie takes place. But let me tell you more about Modu because his life was a wild one. If Disney decided to give us a true villain origin film for Shan Yu and wanted to shock and thrill the audience, they would use Modu's backstory. Check this out. When Modu was a wee lad, his father, Taoman, was leader of the Xi'an Yu. But Taoman had another son that he wanted to be his heir. So instead of sitting Modu down and having a difficult talk about why he was being passed up, Talman did what any good father would do, and sent him away to live with another nomadic society. Then, about 10 seconds after Modu got settled into his new home, Talman sent a battalion of his soldiers to pillage the village, possibly with the intention of killing Modu and ridding himself of his succession problem, but we'll never know for sure. Regardless of his plan, Modu managed to survive by stealing a horse and riding back to his father's kingdom safe and sound. Talman may not have been happy about his son surviving the raid, but for public appearance's sake, he rewarded him for his bravery by putting him in charge of 10,000 horsemen, a decision that would prove to be his undoing. Because at this point, Modu was building his reputation as a brave and brilliant soldier, which made the men he commanded that much more respectful and loyal to him but do you wanna hear how he tested who was the most loyal? Summoning one man at a time, Modu commanded every single one of his 10,000 horsemen to shoot his favorite horse, and anyone who hesitated was executed. Even more bizarre than that, he ran the same test again with his favorite wife. To be clear, I'm pretty sure that when his soldiers prepared to shoot, he would stop them and say, congratulations, you've passed my test, but still. That's a risky test to run 10,000 times. If one man's hands were a little faster, Anyway, there is actually a reason that Modu was testing his men's loyalty. He had a plan to take over his father's position. The story goes that one day while they were on a hunting trip, Talman Chanyu was leading the pack with his back to them. Modu saw this as an opportunity and silently signaled to his men to kill his father. And a few moments later, Talman Chanyu was slaughtered in a shower of arrows. Not a single man hesitated to pull that drawstring. So with Taoman Chan-Yu officially out of the way, Modu was free to take his rightful place as the new Chan-Yu. And you've already heard about how well that went. Unification, aggressive expansion, etc. What I didn't tell you though, is that just like in Mulan, there was an epic standoff between Modu's men and the emperor's army that took place way up in the mountains. Only unlike Mulan, this battle, known as the Battle of Beideng, did not end with the barbarian army being buried alive. There are a few different accounts of what happened, but what we do know is that when an overconfident and underprepared Emperor Gaozu pursued Modu's men into the mountains with 320,000 soldiers, about 280,000 of them had to turn back due to the harsh conditions. This sudden lack of opposition gave Modu and his 300,000 men the opportunity to surround Gaozu in the city of Beideng, and they laid siege to it for seven days straight until finally relenting. Once again, there are mixed reports about how exactly that siege came to an end. Some say that Modu didn't have the proper manpower or siege weapons to take over the city. And so he eventually had to leave it smoldering, but not completely conquered. Meanwhile, others say that spies from the Han dynasty persuaded Modu's wife with gifts and then she convinced her husband to accept the stalemate. Either way, I would say that Modu Chanyu and the Xianyu Empire were finally vindicated after this. The Han Emperor had to come to terms with reality and admit that he couldn't just stomp out his enemy's flame. So he proposed a peace treaty, which funnily enough, has some overlap with the plot of Mulan 2. I mean the second Mulan movie, not Mulan also. In the sequel, the emperor of China is facing a new barbarian threat, so he engages in a practice called Hekin, a marriage alliance, and sends his three daughters to a neighboring empire to be married to that emperor's three sons therefore uniting the two kingdoms against a common enemy. And to those confused about how there could be a neighboring Chinese empire if China was indeed united, like I said, I think it's safe to say that the emperor in Mulan 1 was the emperor of all of China throughout that film's development. Then when it came time to make a sequel and they needed a plot for that sequel, the writer said, hey, let's invent a second empire, even though it was never mentioned in the first even one time. Anyway, back to reality. In order for the Han Dynasty to maintain peace with the Xi'anyu, the Han Emperor agreed to send his daughters as gifts to Modu Chanyu and his boys. But here's the twist. They weren't his real daughters. Every year, they would take daughters of commoner families, dress them up real nice, and give them to the Xi'anyu claiming they were princesses and this was enough to maintain peace between the empires. Things did get a little dicey there for a minute when the widowed empress took over her husband's position and Modu Chanyu slid in her DMs to say he'd be more than happy to make up for what she now lacks in her sad single life, but she found a way to resolve the matter peacefully. First, she sent a message back that said, I don't know what you've heard, but I'm old as hell and really gross. So trust me when I say you don't want anything to do with these shriveling grapefruits. I'm paraphrasing, but that was the gist. And second, she offered to continue the tradition of sending princesses to the Xi'an Yu every year in exchange for peace and evidently, Modu Chanyu accepted this offer. You want to hear something really crazy, though? As you may have guessed, the Xianyu Empire did eventually fracture and fall apart, and there's a popular but unconfirmed theory among scholars that a division of the Xianyu evolved into the Huns. In fact, some even theorize that Modu Chanyu was Attila the Huns' ancestor. There's no way for us to know for sure, but if that's true, I've got to say that Disney chose the two perfect warlords as their inspiration. They kept it in the family. Thanks for stopping by and listening to the Messed Up Origins podcast. I hope you found it entertaining, enlightening, and a little bit horrifying. Remember to make your sacrifice to the algorithm gods by rating our show five stars and let us know what you think by hitting us up directly on Instagram or Twitter, where you can find us under the Messed Up Origins handle. And don't forget, if you're craving more Messed Up Origins, you can also check out my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, Mortals, my name is John Solo, and remember, John shot first.